This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to the fifth ever episode of What Most People Think Breaking News Edition. As there was always going to have to be one this week, which I'll explain in a moment. But I should also explain that I am currently recording this uh, in a travel lodge in Brent Cross. And I think that there is a point where this Travelodge thing with me, at what point is it like a form of BDSM where I actually kind of like the punishment? Last night, I got the tube to Brent Cross Station and it said, oh, it's a 20-minute walk. I did not realise that that walk, anyone, anybody who lives in the area will probably be laughing to themselves because that walk is over a series of flyovers over the North Circular. I was standing over the North Circular at near midnight in the rain thinking, why do you do this? Well, I'll tell you... Why I do this is because I got quoted 450 quid for a Holiday Inn in central London. Fuck you, Holiday Inn, man. It is a weird thing, though. It is a weird thing in my life that I've got to sort of uh, reconcile to myself. The, the places I've slept best in my life are travel lodges and a war zone. That's one for the therapist, isn't it? <laughs> so I was always planning to do a breaking news this week because the thing about the COVID inquiry that is quite useful from people who do podcasts or broadcasting is that you know when the big guns are coming up and we always knew that Boris was going to be doing his testimony on Wednesday and Thursday. So that's going to be the main bulk of this. But my God, in the meantime, it was no means, it was by no means the biggest story of the week. We had Suella Braverman, Braverman, everyone's saying Braverman now, fine. Suella Braverman, she gave her resignation speech, although I think she was sacked. <laughs> that was heavily trailed, just like Boris's speech. That was, uh, oh, don't miss this one. This is, she's going to be the new Jeffrey Howe. And she wasn't really. I don't know what happened, man, but I think somebody got to her maybe and said, look, we, know, we all know you want to be a leader of this party. There might be a few people who carry a grudge if you force us into an early election where we win less seats than the Lib Dems. So maybe wind your fucking neck in. And her speech was, well, I mean, it's exactly what you thought it was going to be. It was a single issue, Suella again. Immigration is a massive issue, massive, right? And I have got no truck with any politician on either side trying to talk about this issue. But she just, yeah, she did her Suella thing, you know? She just stood up, you know, she said immigration is really important and, and she kind of implied that Britain should maybe, she didn't say it, but, you know, she kind of implied that we might need to go against the ECHR, but she didn't go full. Never go full, leave the ECHR, as Robert Downey Jr.'s character famously said in Tropic Thunder, or maybe it's a different word. And then Robert Jenrick, right, knocked her off the top spot of the news. Who would have seen that coming? So the, the, the government got their new... 
Rwanda deal. And I say, I should say, instead of new, I should say most recent, because I just suspect this is going to run and run. It is incredible, isn't it? That they've created this policy and this issue, which is supposed to, I think, drive a wedge between them and Labour, Yeah, where they go, look, they're lefty loonies over there. They're not going to grip this issue. We'll do what needs to be taken. And it's actually, it's actually started a civil war in their own party. I don't think it could have gone any worse. The only people it seems that are doing well out of this are the Rwandans. <laughs> Labour and the Rwandans are doing really well. And um, yeah, he, he resigned. He said that because it was this weird thing whereby the new legislation, the moderates were saying it was extreme. Robert Jemrick was saying it wasn't extreme enough. And we had this bizarre situation where on a day when Boris Johnson gave testimony at the COVID inquiry and Suella Braverman, Braverman sorry, delivered a resignation speech Robert Jenrick was the lead story on the front page news. It was like it was like a you know in the boy bands when every once in a while the quiet sort of less than bright one gets to sing, <laughs> gets to sing a solo. No, I'm not saying Robert Jenrick's not bright, but do you know what I mean? It's like they all got up off their stools and you go, oh, oh, hello, oh, it's it's, it's the lumpy looking lad. So, yeah, the main bit of the podcast will be focusing on Boris's testimony. Now, that's why I gave the title to this episode, because I thought it was a funny pun. But it wasn't really that. It wasn't really that. And we will get into that. But first up, new patrons, Graham Reed, VIP. Graham, I think you're... I think Patreon have stitched you up and you've come back on. Thank you very much for persisting. I'll give you another VIP wristband. I'll tell you what, a couple of your mates can come into the roped-off area, but don't go telling everyone. And look, here's, here's, here's a free bottle of pomaine. If you do want to get this show early and ad-free, which includes, by the way, the breaking news episodes, they also come out early and ad-free. Get yourself on Patreon and search Jeff Norcott or what most people think. And I will be. So the tour uh, will end in April of next year. And as regular long-term patrons will know, is I will probably do like the odd online gig. There will probably be at some point after that, Jeff Norcott, some friends gigs uh, in the north and the south of England, which I offered free tickets to people for. So, you know, there'll be other stuff coming. I want to get into the subject this week quickly. So obviously there's no David Domain. A quick thank you. Now, Nick Fletcher, the Tory MP Nick Fletcher, stood up at PMQs and mentioned the stats, the really compelling stats that suggest that there should be a minister for men, an idea which I've sort of come around to, really. And I've got to say, it was, a bit, it was a bit disappointing. A bit disappointing, the reaction on both sides of the house. It's one of the problems with male-only issues is for some reason, it just doesn't put fire in the belly of politicians. I guess perhaps because politicians on the left kind of think, you know, well, there's a hierarchy of oppression and men have had their turn. They love to think of people in big, fat groups, don't they? Sit down, men. You know, you've had 2,000 years. Yeah, no man alive today has had anything like that. And certainly young men have had a very different experience of masculinity. Um, so they're trying to uh, sort of preserve the kind of Olympics of oppression. And then on the right, there's probably loads of Conservative MPs going, oh, bloody ridiculous, a bloody minister for men. You know, they've spent their whole life trying to push their feelings down. They're like, well, if I, if I acknowledge that we we can feel pain, then I'll have to remember how I felt boarding school, crying myself to sleep. So um, that was disappointing. And then the PM stood up and sort of acknowledged the stuff and went, yeah, yeah, oh, it's fucking, oh, it's bad that is. And uh, yeah, we've, oh, we've got a health ambassador. There you go. There you go. You can't have the same as the women, but we got, we, we got you a little something. I mean, it was almost like a metaphor for, you know, our dads get bought less good Christmas presents than everyone else. It's like, oh, you have got something to unwrap, but uh, uh, it's not going to be an expensive perfume. On the note of PMQs is that it was the worst. I think it's the worst I've ever seen in some ways because, you know, once we got the grown-ups back in the room, you know, we got Rishi 
and Starmer wearing slicker suits. We thought, oh, it's not going to be like the knockabout, disappointing days of Boris and Corbyn. And yet, I mean, I don't know what happened with Starmer, man. Last week, you know, on the main podcast this week with Ian Dale, which everyone should listen to, by the way, a lot of good feedback for that, is I gave Starmer a lot of praise for PMQs. He had his best PMQs last week. And this week, I don't know what happened, man. I don't know if he'd been on the piss celebrating ever since, but some of his jokes were the worst that I've ever seen at PMQs. He um, he was trying to knock the, the PM over the Rwanda policy. Fair enough, right? It's a fairly open goal. There was something about the EU. Anyway, it ends up... It ends up with him with this line that was so laboured. He goes, he's gone from up yours to laws to uh, here's some more money, Kagami. Let me, let's just deconstruct that joke a little bit. Up yours to laws was a phrase that hasn't really been in popular usage since the late 90s. And like a lot of um, labour jokes at PMQs, they sort of... They sort of were, were last relevant before the advent of cable TV in Britain. I don't know why all their jokes got such old references, you know. Up yours to laws. I mean, I, I think the last time I heard that, even, even Bremner, Bird and Fortune stopped using that in about 1998. <laughs> and then here's some money, Kagami. Money and Kagami don't rhyme. That's not a full rhyme. And then, then he tried to do this ad lib on the bounce, which was basically... The, the Rwanda policy had more holes in it than, than Swiss cheese, which is a fairly root one analogy that's been around, I would say, since fucking Roman times, right? But he, he fumbled that. He said, well, this, this policy got more, more... I'm like, mate, dude, just do the Swiss cheese joke and get get this over with. And then, and then you know, Sunak was no better in some respects because they started trading gags about football teams. I, on a WhatsApp group earlier that day, had made a joke that Boris Johnson at the COVID inquiry would basically be very belligerent and start singing, Labour get battered everywhere they go, everywhere they go. Right, this this popular chant that's doing the rounds. Starmer actually said it at PMQs. I was saying that that could be the most boorish thing someone could do. He actually said it. He goes, the Prime Minister's football team, Southampton, are actually doing pretty well. And uh, unlike the Prime Minister, they don't get battered everywhere. They go, oh, my God, the setups for these jokes, man. Somebody prune the prune the wording. And then Sunak says this joke. Well, he's like, yes, well, you, you, your football team has got, got Rwanda on, on the shirt. I mean, is it really, lads? Is, is, is this where we are? Is this where we are? Because i tell you what, if this has happened under Boris and Corbyn, all the grown-ups in the room would have been just vomiting out op-eds about the coarsening of debate, the... The trammeling of public life. But when these two do it, oh, they got nicer suits. The fuck you. So I was on threads. By the way, threads, if you ever wonder what all the judgy, where all the judgy, sanctimonious people from Twitter went, right? Threads is where they're at. I got in trouble for a joke. When the inquiry started, when Boris's testimony started, I said if I was the QC, I'd just ask Boris if he could have Cummins in a fight. Now... You never complain or explain a joke, right? It's like the Queen. But I guess the logic of that was me saying, well, this inquiry is quite frivolous. Why not just get straight into the salacious stuff? I tweeted that, didn't get a bad response. I put that on threads. And it triggered uh, a lady who had had some loss uh, in the COVID inquiry. So obviously that's never your intention, but you're like, well, this is not, that's not what the joke, she thought I was laughing at what had happened. But I hope most people would see that wasn't the case. And then some guy with a few thousand followers was like, oh, this fucking Tory prick. This is what they're like, this far right, obviously far right guy. 
And it just reminds you, you know, that, that I've always had is online is people that are waiting for me to say something that they can link to being mean or heartless. So then they can justify, oh, this is what right-wingers are like. This is what right-wing communism and so on and so forth. So that's not really the issue. The issue is, is why it got to me. These were only a couple of people that reacted. Now, I, I'm ashamed to say that I deleted the tweet because I just, for some reason, it put me uh, in, in a panic. And I suppose the, the point of this is, is about men's mental health, really. So I was like, why, why did that get to me? Why couldn't I deal with that? Because... On other days, I would have just muted the replies and just gone, all right, that's up to them. I would have been blasé about it. But for some reason, I didn't have the bandwidth, right, for people to come at me. And I was thinking, ah, oh, yeah, you know, maybe I'm just a bit down about something at the moment. And I do have something that's on my mind uh, at the moment, something, something from the past. And I just thought, it's interesting with blokes, isn't it? Because you, you have this front-end reaction where you go, well... That's odd. Why did I react like that? You know, it's like some blokes, when they're sad, they get angry, right? Because they go, well, as a bloke, I don't get the option of just being sad, you know, or being anxious, maybe. So so the only thing I've got is anger. And I was just sort of thinking, it's so it's so common for guys. My Mine was I just like, it was fight or flight, really, I guess. And I, I flew. I was like, look, there hardly anybody on Freds in the first place. I'm fucking off. I'll just delete this. I don't care. But the other one is fight. And I guess what I'm saying is when you see some dickhead doing road rage for no reason, you know, my, <laughs> wind down the window and go, you go, mate, everything all right? <laughs> I mean, that is definitely going to diffuse it. What most people think. All right, let's talk about Boris at the COVID inquiry. So this appearance was heavily trailed, wasn't it? You know, we've had some big hitters. We've had the Cumminses. I love it when football pundits pluralise for no reason. You've had your Cumminses, you've had your Hancockses, your Goveses. And this was like a big heavyweight fight. You know those pay-per-views, big pay-per-views that Sky did in the late 90s, particularly the noughties, where it was hosted by Paul Dempo Dempsey. Coming up after the break, the former Prime Minister going head-to-head. And it was never after the break. You're like, mate, it's midnight and the fight doesn't start till 4am. And one of the early things that they had to deal with was why Boris hadn't handed over certain WhatsApps. And, I mean, look, this is only my judgment, but he was lying for his teeth. But the funny thing about Boris is there is a sitcom character element to him where you go, okay, this is a lie. I think I'm just looking around. I think everyone knows this is a lie. I think Boris knows this is a lie. I think Boris knows that everyone else knows this is a lie. But we're all sort of going, oh, we're witnessing a happening. Boris is doing his catchphrase, which is he's lying. It's like on Friends, you know, Joey doesn't share food. Boris doesn't tell the truth all the time. And I didn't mind. I mean, it's weird, isn't it? Former Prime Minister, I was just like, oh, I miss this. <laughs> oh, he's a good character. He's a good character. And he ended up in some conversation about, oh, yeah, I, I, I think that there was some issue with factory settings on my phone. You thought, oh, you know, it's, it's all good sport, isn't it? I mean, look, he should tell the truth. He should have handed them over. But let's not forget that the SNP... Uh, Nicholas Sturgeon haven't handed over all of those and, and, and still have the gall to actually mention that Boris had... The SNP do seem... Anyway, look, this isn't about the SNP. I should anchor it back to the fact that I didn't believe Boris. But anyway, the whole thing, I suppose... I mean, it was interesting the way that, that Boris approached this generally because the expectation was, is he going to be testy, right? Is he going to do inappropriate jokes, right? And that really wasn't the vibe for the vast majority of the time. There was... It seemed... At times, an open-mindedness, there seemed, and I always say seemed with Boris, because I think he was pretty well-drilled and well-advised on this, there seemed to be um, genuine contrition in parts. He, he, he didn't seem to want to throw anyone under a bus. He had mad love for Govey, giving Matt Hancock props. I mean, Jesus Christ. 
No one does that. Not even the Hancock family. And he showed what I thought was genuine emotion at times. And interestingly, and if this was a strategy, I think it played out well, particularly against old Hugo Keith KC. And Hugo Keith for me does sound like one of those. You know, you know, like in an 80s, 70s or 80s sitcom next door, you know, the neighbours were always posh and the husband was always put upon by his kind of bullshit, ball breaker wife. Hugo Keith just sounds like that guy. And also starring Hugo Keith, and he turns around like with a cigar. Hello. And I did wonder, right? And this is a genuine legal question. You can somebody who knows can message me what most people think UK at gmail.com. What is the point of the KC? I don't mean that not they're not doing a good job. What are they supposed to be doing? Is this an inquiry or is it that they're supposed to prosecute the idea that it was a disaster. Is that the starting point for this? Because particularly in his case, that did seem to be the case sometimes. You know, they have to couch it in legal language where they say, but, but, you know, um, Mr. Johnson, is it not the case, right? You go, oh, I, I'm starting to understand this legal language. Is it not the case means I'm going to now tell you what I fucking think, right? Is it not the case? Forgive me, forgive me. Uh, that was bollocks, right? There's a whole There's a whole list of codes in these things. And is that the job? I guess they've got to kind of push a line for then the person to fight back against it. But there were just sometimes where you go, I think this is what you think, mate. And, you know, when he picked a graph to show how Britain had done for death toll, it was quite clear that the metric that he picked, there's a lot of people that think that overall four excess deaths across a two-year period per capita, which I think is the only metric that any sensible person would acknowledge that matters, is that Britain finished roughly mid-table compared to similar countries, right? maybe a little bit more than France and Germany, but not so much so that you could say that we had like a wildly different experience. But he picked a different graph and you have to wonder why. Now, some of the stories that come out of this, I mean, like, I don't want to be one of these guys that sort of slags the MSM, but most of the main news outlets for the first few hours after the testimony finished led with the revelation that Boris Johnson shouldn't have shaken hands. He shouldn't. Led on the news. Boris Johnson admits that he shouldn't have shaken hands. Oh, Tom Bradbury would have loved it. That guy's annoying me. I can't watch that show. He just looks right. The way that he editorialises is so anti-government. And there's plenty to be anti-government about. But this, it's, anyway, again, it's not about the SNP. It's not about Tom Bradbury. Um, so it turns out that we shouldn't have been shaking hands after all, Boris Johnson. Oh, fuck off, mate. If you want to be a pundit, anyway. I'm getting sidetracked. But didn't we kind of know he shouldn't have shaken hands back in April of 2020? Didn't we know like about a day afterwards? Didn't we already know that around the time that we'd concluded that celebrities singing Imagine looked like dickheads? But oh, no, no, this was headline news. One of the things I found interesting, and one of the things I have been following this inquiry of, is to be reminded of how things actually were at the time, not how we've remembered them. I mean, PPE hasn't come up that much, but it was a good example of a story where, at the time, we remembered it as kind of Britain had no PPE and we were alone in the world in, in having that problem. But you actually, if you look, like it, most Western countries had a PPE shortage. There was a global PPE shortage. And another reminder... A contextual reminder was that the idea that the government delayed for ages and ages and ages to lock down isn't exactly accurate. Now, it could be that those delays mattered a lot because of how the R rate works, you know, and doubling times generally. But as I think Boris made the point was, well, you know, the word um, lockdown didn't really appear at all until early March, right? So we did, it was, we're talking about a matter, if there was a d- delay, it was a matter of days, it wasn't weeks or anything. But, you know, the, the memory does funny things. 
I guess it was because maybe Piers Morgan was uh, and his like were on screaming for lockdowns. God, there were so many pundits at the time, you know, lock me down. And there may have been logical reasons to do it, but it did. A lot of it did sound like a businessman a BDSM session, didn't it? Lock me down for fuck's sake. And you know, Boris showed some genuine emotion. It seemed. No, it wasn't like Matt Hancock type emotion. You know, <laughs> I'm just I'm sorry. I'm just so damn happy. Is it seemed? Real, and that seems plausible, right? You're in charge, you almost died of COVID. That seemed, I mean, I'm sure, I haven't checked online, but I'm sure a lot of people think that it was acting. I did think with Boris Johnson, as you can already see, like a lot of things I'm saying are showing an empathy towards Boris Johnson, which is playing against type for me. But he has got this thing, man, like when he does the little boy lost thing, you're like, oh, poor Boris. <laughs> I can see why so many women forgive him. You're like, you know, when he puts that head down, you're like, oh, it's okay, Boris, it's okay. And, you know, who knows, maybe that was um, performative, but I, I found it um, effective. One thing that I did think that Boris refused to accept and could have accepted was the level of um, dysfunction in in his cabinet at the time. Like, it did seem to be, you know, I know that I've always said that it's a bit harsh to judge it on WhatsApp, but equally the weight of evidence does suggest that there was a problem there. And he did seem to be a bit deluded about this, Boris. He said, well, you, know, you know, people, it's just the government, you know, people beating on your door every day asking for people to be sacked. That's just how it works. I was like, um, is it? Is it? Is that just how your government were? Like, you've got no other, you've got no other experience of being a leader. It's, it's kind of like, you know, when somebody thinks how their family is, is normal, and then you think, oh, I don't think that sounds that normal. It's like, he's like, yeah, no, it's just a standard family Christmas. You know, everyone gets drunk, there's an argument. Like one of your aunties pulls a knife, you're like, um, I, I think <laughs> I think that that might just be your family, mate. And one of the things that came up was the complacency at the beginning, which I think, look, I think that's a fair charge that there was complacency at the beginning. The issue is where does that come from, right? Why did we think that Britain would come through unscathed? And, and some of that is probably just hubris. Some of it came from the fact that we'd come through SARS, swine flu, BSE, a lot better than the experts had predicted, right? And and a lot of it, though, came from thinking that we were really well prepared. For me, I can't say often enough, this for me is the biggest takeaway of this whole thing, is that there was a plan in place, right, for a long time, which was based on a influenza-type virus, right? The wrong assumptions. And and let's not forget that, you know, people look back at when the Cheltenham Festival was allowed to go ahead and big events and all those Spanish football fans coming to Liverpool. At the time, you know, Sage felt their logic was it's less transmissible in the open air. And if you start cancelling things, people are going to spend more time indoors together, which there is, there is a logic to that. I guess some people would say, well, what were the optics was that a good sign to be sending out to people? Well, possibly not. But at that time, the country was already sort of locking itself down voluntarily. And, you know, there does seem to be in the early stages that Sage and some, some of the sort of behavioural modellers, right? I just had a weird image of a guy, <laughs> fucking Niall Ferguson on a catwalk. They just didn't read human nature very well, right? And yeah, you go, I get that, right? If you look at uh, Chris Whitty. Does Chris Whitty look like the kind of bloke who's a great reader of people? No, he looks like the kind of geezer who hadn't seen sunlight for about six years. On the on the subject of the the kind of issue of the dysfunctional workplace, it came up about the Helen McNamara message. This is the messages. There were two, I think, where uh, Dominic Cummins talks about handcuffing her and taking her out of the building, which is just not an appropriate way to speak about a female colleague in any context, right? There was also where he said we're something about dodging stilettos from that cunt. I, I actually think that's the way lesser charge. You know, I think that obviously the use of the C word in, in 
application to a woman has a different context. But I think that the one about handcuffs is just fucking weird and a bit sinister. You know, the other one he was, was insulting. And, you know, it shouldn't have happened. But the point was, right, I struggled to have bandwidth for two WhatsApps out of thousands when we're talking about the nation. This is the problem with the modern press is if there's a hint of sexism or bigotry, you know, they zero in on, on, on that. And it is, of course, relevant. But you go, God, have we got have we got time for this, really? You know, I think that the, the bigger charge which landed, and I think that Boris has sort of coughed to this, was that there was... There's just so few women in and around this. And it is, and I'm, look, I'm the last person to be saying, oh, let's make it like, you know, Sky Sports football panel where it's just all women, right? But also I think that you want, you definitely want diversity of thought when you're talking about behaviour in people's lives. And it was an incredible fucking sausage fest when you when you look at the testimonies and the main people that have come come up, you know. And, and let's be honest, right, if we're getting towards the mid, the end of the middle of this inquiry, if that's the worst WhatsApps, I actually think they've done all right. You know what I mean? I think if most people look at their conduct and language on WhatsApp groups and go, oh, this is one of the least bitchy, offensive working environments I think anyone has ever worked in. And like I say, none of this is, a, you know, what Cummins said about Helen McNamara was wrong. But this inquiry was supposed to be about the bigger picture. And I think that sometimes we're losing sight of that, is that these guys have had thousands of WhatsApps looked at. I thought that they would be worse than this. And who knows, may, maybe all of them had sudden factory settings issues. Overall with Boris, there wasn't many... There just wasn't many fireworks, was there? He sort of played... I guess, you know, if we're going to make this a cricket analogy, everyone was expecting him to come out and go full 2020 mode, right? Slog in from the start and, and maybe he'd get tired and just stand on his stumps and go, yeah, 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 and then just claim he hadn't stood on his stumps and, you know, <laughs> um, just lie his way out of it. You know, stand there like Virat Kohli when he's been bowled. <laughs> when you get bold, you're fucking out. But yeah, Boris didn't do any of that. You know, like I say, there was um, there was contrition. He seemed cooperative. You know, he, he pushed back on some things, but sometimes he just said uh, uh, he. So there was a couple of times. There was I can't remember her name. She's a very good KC from uh, Narnayan, and she was like, "This is this is the thing when you get like a female cross examining him." Hugo Keith got into an ego battle at times, whereas this this lady was just like, she was like, "No, Mr. Johnson, no, no," uh, with respect, and she was just like. <laughs> broke him down and several times he's going I, I, I think that's fair I think that's fair yeah that's kind of how I expected inquiry to work take the ego out of it and try and find out the fucking truth and and yeah like he didn't throw his mates under a bus so if anything has made me wonder if there is a, a potential Boris Johnson second term as, as leader of the Conservative Party it would be him not absolutely drop kicking people like Hancock and, and even Cummings he kept Cummins' name out of his fucking mouth. So overall, I mean, I think here's the thing, right? Is what I think what most people think is that, you know, whatever was discussed at WhatsApp level, whether it was like let the bodies pile high or these crass things that were sometimes said in the moment, were they borne out by the way, uh, you know, let it rip? Were they borne out by government conduct, by a policy, right? You have to say that what we did was a lot more important than what we said, Right. And whatever was discussed at WhatsApp level, we had two long and very strict, for my money, very strict long lockdowns. Definitely. I'm still open minded. I definitely think the lock, both lockdowns were too strict and too long. Right. We shut the schools twice. Again, my view is very much that 
the second time we shut them, I, I couldn't believe it. It was, it was you know, it's, it, when it comes to trying to vote Conservative again, that'll be one of the biggest barriers for me is that I think they knew that was the wrong move and they fucking did it anyway. They spent billions on free testing, right? Billions. And I know a lot of people still think it was, what, 37 billion for an app? Yeah. Yeah, 37,000 million pounds on an app. If you, I mean, it's now it's now actually better to let those people think think that Christopher Snowden, who I should get back on the show soon, actually, but he's got this thing where he he stopped fighting that, and he actually, I think it's time to to, to start making those people think that we spent more than thirty seven billion because they're clearly not interested in the truth; they just want to be angry. So let's make them more angry. Thirty seven billion? You're joking, are you? That was just for the development. You haven't factored in the wages of the designers. That was actually eighty four billion, and we spent billions on pe- paying people's wages, right? You know, the furlough scheme was successful, whatever you think. People might just say, well, you know, any government would have had to do that. All right, I mean, you can't just say, well, when something went well, oh, we'd have all had to do that. When something went badly, the Tories were uniquely shit. You know, this is the problem. It's like with inflation. You either, If you blame them for it going up, you have to give them credit for it coming down or vice versa. And that's the funny thing for the Tories. It's an example of their last few years is that they do have stories to tell that are a lot better than the ones that are out there. You know, whether it's Rwanda... They could talk about the, f- the fact that small boat crossings are down a third, but they've gone all in on this fucking Rwanda policy. On COVID, they actually came out of it pretty well. And yet, when Partygate emerged, the sort of boorish and belligerent way that Boris Johnson handled that meant that that sort of overshadowed everything that happened. You know, I think that you know, we obviously had a really bad start on COVID, but by certain metrics, we did seem to end up kind of mid-table, which represented you know, a recovery of sorts. We were sort of like destined for relegation. We were like Evan. We've been deducted 10 points and then we went we went on a bit of a streak with the vaccine. The vaccine, that was the NHS, wasn't it? Yeah, and I'm sure if it had been a terrible rollout, you would definitely have blamed the NHS. So I thought it was really interesting um, testimony from Boris Johnson. It wasn't what we expected, but everything about how he handled that made me think that he does want to be Conservative leader again. Okay, that's me done for this one. I'm down to uh, enjoy the sumptuous... Breakfast. I haven't read the Travelodge literature here in Brent Cross, but um, I'm sure they call it the sumptuous. Relax at our buffet breakfast. All that you can eat. I mean, yeah, once I've seen it, I'm definitely not going to fucking want to eat it all. Uh, Listen, man, I hope you have a great weekend and I will see you next week for the main show.